Hey there, Sports History fan. Arnie Chapman here from the Sports History Network. Now, before you jump into this episode, I wanted to share with you an exciting giveaway we have going on with Home Field Apparel. We have a digital $50 gift card to homefieldapparel.com for one lucky fan of the Sports History Network. All you got to do is head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways to sign up. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways. This is our league, and this is your league. From the 55-yard line on CFL America Radio and the Sports History Network. George Hallis, who recently retired as coach of the Chicago Bears, was a spectator at the game and had a few words to say about one of his former players. Greg Grange joined us immediately after his last collegiate game against Ohio State and he played his first pro game on Thanksgiving Day of 1925. He was a, probably the most publicized player of all time, and yet he always conducted himself in a modest manner. He gave pro football the impetus that it needed so badly in 1925. I would really say that he was a maker of professional football because of what he added to us. And with it all, the size of his hat always remained the same. He was one of the finest personalities I've known. A fine, honest, modest young man. And today, he is still of the same type, I'm happy to say. This is a league of A's and B's. It's green and red and gold and black and blue. This is a league with two official languages and many unofficial languages. It's East versus West, wheat versus iron, love versus hate. This is a league where superstars are extraordinary and ordinary at the same time. It's a league of ice, of fog, of mud, and wind. And for one Sunday in November, it's the nation's glue. This is a league as diverse as a country. A league of Jacksons, Kwongs, Johnsons, Moscas, O'Shea's, and Haji Razulis. This is his league. His league. Her league. Their league. And their league. It's my league, and it's your league. This is our league. And welcome to the 55-yard line here tonight with Scott and Greg, where we welcome Chris Willis, noted professional football historian and the head of the NFL Research Library. Chris is the author of numerous books, including biographies of Joe Carr, Red Grange, Dutch Clark, and soon, for us Chicago Bears fans, Bronco Nagurski. Welcome, my friend. I had the, uh, the pleasure of meeting you several years ago while you were in Chicago promoting your book on Red Grange, and it is great to see you again and to talk about your career as both a writer and as a member of what I consider the greatest team, the great the, as a member of the greatest film studio on earth. 
No, thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, the the Red Grange uh, little tour a couple of years ago was always was nice to to enjoy and then to get his story out there. So it's good to, to reconnect and, and talk a little bit more uh, football history. Uh, speaking of football history, I, I kind of like origin stories. So I was wondering, what's your origin story as far as you started out as a football fan, but when did you become a fan of the history of football? Um, that's a good question. I always, uh, you know, think back of, you know, what happens. Uh, I think a couple of things uh, were, well, I was fortunate, you know, growing up. One was that I was born in Ohio and uh, uh, Ohio's sort of the hotbed of, of a lot of football, you know, crazies. And um, so that, that helped out. And then uh, my dad uh, owned a used bookstore. So uh, growing up, um, you know, you know, reading books, uh, I sort of gravitated to the sports section, you know, for some reason, and, you know, sort of, sort of started, you know, reading, you know, any books on football and, um, and football books are really cheap to buy, you know, you can go to a dollar bin and use bookstore or whatever you can find it. So, so growing up, you know, that sort of led me to, to read about a lot of the history and the players and the teams and, and, and things like that, you know, so, um, and then as I got a little bit older, you know, you know, we were from Columbus, so we were two hours from the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So, um, so in high school and definitely in college, I started, you know, making trips there and, and going to the induction ceremonies and stuff like that. So it kind of snowballed from, from uh, you know, reading and things like that and just absorbing, you know, uh, you know, the history of the game. And, you know, like I said, there's, uh, uh, there's a lot to be written about, you know, uh, uh, history, I think, Pro football history, there's still a lot of untapped stories, you know, that can be written about and and needs to be told. Um, but you know, like I said, it was just really nice to, to be able to, to absorb some of that, you know. So you know, you know, growing up and stuff. So that's sort of how I, I got my start. Was it was it just football, or did you have an interest in the history of, of other sports as well? Uh, I, I pretty much stuck to football. Like you know, baseball was the predominant one, um, and if you're a fan of sports, you know, there's certain layers, I think, for each sport, you know, and uh, like golf and boxing and baseball, there's a lot more uh, sort of literary um, sort of, uh, it, it sort of gives its way to the written word, you know, where as much as I love football, it's more of a visual sport. And, you know, I, you know, I work for NFL Films and for 50 years, it, it, people want to watch football, you know, it's, it's a little tougher to get a mass audience to read about football where baseball and, and, and golf and boxing kind of leads that, you know, leads sort of to those stories, you know, um, but football, you know, like I said, you can, you can, you know, learn a lot by reading, you know, but like I said, for the most part, it's a visual, but uh, so, so growing up and, and being part like football was sort of dominant, you know, like I am a big sports fan, I, you know, baseball, you know, I, I like watching baseball, you know, I'm a Reds fan from Ohio. Um, I like watching golf and tennis, you know, like, and so I like the big sporting events. I like sports, but um, the, my passion is football and, and, and sort of absorb in anything I can, whether it's college or, or NFL or pro. <laughs> and when you were, um, well, growing up, I mean, we all, I, like you, I spent a lot of time reading and that's where my love of football started. Who were your, some of your favorite authors growing up? Um, I mean, for me, you know, George Plimpton obviously was, was probably, you know, for a lot of us, he was a, a big influence, though I, I got to say, I, I enjoy the movie much better than I enjoy the book, but because <laughs> the book did not have Lauren Hutton in it, um, whereas the movie did, but who were your favorite, who were your favorite um, sports authors? Wow. That's a good one. Um, I think, 
some of the, the guys that I got it, I mean, obviously uh, with the NFL, I mean, first um, was more of a sports writer, uh, um, not a maybe author or historian um, was Paul Zimmerman, Dr. Z, you know, like if, if you read Sports Illustrated, which now is more online, <laughs> it's not even weekly anymore, but you know, in the late seventies and eighties and I, like it was huge to get sports illustrated, you know, you know, uh, or, or pro football weekly, you know, um, and, and those guys, uh, uh, who, who published that, but, but Dr. Z was the main writer for sports. Illustrated, so he covered the games, you know, he'd make his predictions, uh, the, the, uh, the sports preview was always something, you know, you must read and you must buy, you know, when it came out. And, and, um, so he was, you know, he's one of them, but, I would say the biggest influence on me or, or sort of the one that I liked the best and, and sort of gravitate to was Richard Whittingham and uh, Richard Whittingham, you know, wrote a, a lot of uh, pro football books in the eighties uh, when I was really starting to get more, he wrote the illustrated history of the Chicago bears, uh, Dallas Cowboys, um, which I still read what a game they played. And, and it was uh, published in 1984 and uh because he did the thing that i would have loved to have done <laughs> you know if i was born you know maybe 15 20 years earlier and what a game they played is he interviewed about 20 22 players uh all-time greats you know it was like red rangers don hudson you know uh it was shipwreck kelly uh joey sternament like it was all uh, wellington mara uh you know because all these guys were still alive you know in the early 80s and the 80s and it's an oral history book and it's really quick chapters and it's really great to read because it, these are the guys that lived it these are the guys that started the league that you know like i said I, I love today's game but just the fascination of the 20s and 30s and how we got started and, and how the game survived and how it grew how it really was like the 10th best sport on the token pole you know in the 1920s 1930s i mean it's even behind wrestling and horse racing and, and tennis and and then it grew to what it is today. Um, so that book and, and what Richard Winningham, um, uh, you know, what he wrote and some of his stories, um, like I said, especially with those oral history books, was, was some of the first sort of books. Uh, and, and another series you guys are probably familiar with is was the Punt, Pass, and Kick series, which, you know, some of the older writers, you know, you know Xander Hollander and, and, and Jack Clary and some of those guys wrote. Um, which was a series of books that were just sort of, you know, they were geared more towards younger audience, but they just had the all. history and <laughs> photos and those, yeah, they, they're, they were so easy to read and you could just sit there and just plow through them and you can go back to them and read them again because they're entertaining. Um, those, those series of books were, were like some of the ones that, that I, um, that I gravitated towards and still even enjoy today. Well, I mean, you know, we, we, we were in school, if you remember, Every month we had that scholastic order form that came in and during the autumn period, were you like me when around autumn time, I mean, checking all the football books that, that came out. I mean, I've got a stack of them in my reading room that uh, my wife looks at with disdain because <laughs> it's, she's like, well, those are kids books. I'm like, yeah, but yeah they're, yeah. they, they're the NFL fun book was, yeah. is, is one that I credit, you know, for my love of football, really my deep love of football, which I think came out when I was in like in the fifth grade. So, um, you know, and in talking about discovering books, I first really discovered you when I read your book on Joe Carr. And I, you know, I knew you, I knew your name when I saw it, but I had not, I had never read one of your books. When I read your Joe Carr book, and I've told you this uh, on a few occasions, 
I was hooked. I mean, it is one of the, I think one of the best football books out there. And, you know, Scott, yours is one of the best football books out there too. <laughs> no, no comparison though with this. I mean, yeah, the, the Joe Carr thing to me, you know, a lot of times if you just think of the NFL and you think of commissioners, you're going to automatically think of Burt Bell and Pete Rozelle. But then when I started reading this book, you know, and, and seeing everything he did, I mean, th this guy had every angle covered. I mean, you don't have Joe Carr. You don't have the NFL as we know it. We're talking about some other professional football league. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I mean I'm, I'm a little biased, but, yeah, I agree. It's – he was – he's so underrated um, in, in the development of the sport, you know, like I said, you, especially with some of the pioneers. I mean, uh, and albeit they should get credit, you know, the George Houses, the Wellington Tamaras, you know, the, you know um, the Art Rooney's and the Burt Bells, like they, they should all – share credit you know but for joe Carr to be the one that sort of stood above them you know so to speak you know like he was the one that was in charge he's the one that made the final decisions and he sort of guided the sport like i said i think he's so underrated and it was just such a privilege you know being from columbus and, and joe Carr was a columbus native like it, it meant a lot more like i said i wanted to tell the story along with the nfl story from the 20s and 30s it, it's a really good volume if you want to learn about what was going on during those first two decades and uh but to explain his story from his viewpoint from his eyes you know like i said it just was a privilege to to do that and uh and to accomplish that and like i said, I, I enjoy people saying because like i said a lot of people don't know what he did and, and how he guided the sport and so um so i feel a, a little sense of you know hey you know what if people read it and they get that understanding and they get to know a story then uh, like i said it makes me feel like I did my job, you know, um, you know, as, as well as I could. So, um, so yeah, he, yeah, that's still, like I said, out of all my projects, you know, that one and the Red Range one are like one and one A. So I, I you know, although it's been about, was it now 11 years since that book came out, um, you know, then it came out in paperback a couple of years ago. Uh, it's still one of my favorites. Like it's, it's still, you know, like it still touches me. Like, you know, you know, uh, you know to, to tell his story and to talk about him and stuff that and the people sort of still respond to that so um and and because the other thing about once i read that and that's the thing with with that era is like a lot of the issues that he faced you know that i covered you know telling the story is all the stuff that they face today you know like some of these issues people think you know whether it's player movement stadium issues publicity, you know, with getting people out to the games, you know, uh, ownership, you know, like all the stuff that, you know, statistics, which they started, the record in fact, but like all those things that we look at now, like, wow, you know, the, the NFL has to face the issues. Like, well, about 90% of it, they faced in the 20s and 30s, you know, it's just at a different level. It was not at the billion dollar level. It was not at the exposure, the Super Bowl, like they created the draft, they created the championship game. Well, that was all that everything that the NFL sits on now was built during those two decades. And, you know, like I said, so, um, so his story, like I said, you know, hopefully can continue to resonate with, with the history, you know, of the league and stuff. So. Hi, I'm Oz Davis of the True the Goats podcast here at the Sports History Network. I'd like to take a minute to tell you about quite possibly the greatest website of all time, newspapers.com. If you're listening to this podcast or any of them at the Sports History Network, you're probably into sports history. And you probably also know that for learning about anything prior to, say, 1990 online, the typical search engines like are nearly completely useless. But then there's newspapers.com. 
Newspapers.com gives you access to over 640 million pages worth of news from North America, Britain, Ireland, and more, dating from 1798 to last week. Do up a search for Super Bowl One, the 36th Berlin Olympics, Wayne Gretzky's first game, whatever. Newspapers.com takes you there with historical flavor that search engines like just don't give you. And now, get a free one-week subscription to Newspapers.com by visiting sportshistorynetwork.com slash newspapers. With a paid subscription, you'll also be helping to support the production of Myth Podcasts and other Sports History Network shows. That's sportshistorynetwork.com slash newspapers. Newspapers.com. Way better for searches than You know what I'm talking about. Well, you know, you know, talking about that, just even using, you know, because we are, you know, we're a Canadian Football League podcast, but we cover <laughs> both sides of the border. But in reading that Joe Carr book, you know, a lot of the issues he was dealing with back then, the CFL is dealing with now. So, and I always tell people history matters. And especially, you know, for, we all love professional football. And in the last, you know, six months, I've, I've encouraged a lot of people to go back and read those books, read your book and, and see what, you know, what people dealt with got almost a hundred years now in terms of building the sport and expanding the, the sport. And when, when you were writing that book and, and that book is a great history book too, not just a football book, but a history of the times when you wrote, when you sat down to write it, what was your, I guess, not so much your research process, but kind of where was the starting point for you? We'll use Joe Carr, you know, this one. Um, what was your starting point to begin your research? Well, uh, I mean, most projects, you know, you start at the beginning. Like, I, I really want to go back as far as I can. Um, and uh, I guess, especially with biographies, you know, I think most biographers will tell you that, you know, like, um, so the, the main thing for me that I sort of benefited, like I said, I, I, I thank them all the time, you know, was that the Carr family sort of opened their doors to me, you know, you know, um, at that time when I was doing the research, uh, you know, starting in like 2002 is when I actually met the, one of the grandsons of, of, of the Carr family, you know, James Carr, who actually wrote the foreword for the book. And, uh, which I was doing the Columbus Panhandle stuff at that time, you know, so I knew, but I knew I wanted to write about Joe Carr. That was always in the back of my mind, you know, like I want to tackle him. Nobody's ever written a full length book or hardly anything on him, let alone a book, you know, there's hardly any articles. And so that was the key to me was like, you know, and, and sometimes with a lot of these projects, you know, starting with the family's input, just because you get so much more, access and material and just a little more insight than if you didn't get that help, you know, you know, so, um, so that was a key for me was like, okay, starting with the family, then they can tell me where he came from and where he lived and what he did and those type of things um, as much as they could, you know, obviously they weren't, most of them weren't living when he was around. So, um, so with biographies, like I said, I'm always wanting to find as much as I can, you know, like I said, now maybe those first chapters aren't, super in depth about the family and about this stuff, but, but I get a picture of who he is and, and what they did and, and where they came from. Uh, that, uh, Cause that was the same thing, not to branch off the grain. It was the same way. I was like, I want to know what he did, where he was, and, you know, as much as I could, you know, um, right. uh, sometimes you can write a little bit more, but sometimes you can't. So, um, 
and then, like I said, it's digging in every, every area. The car one, for example, had, you know, it's his, it's his story and, and I'm sort of doing it from his viewpoint, but there was like a hundred different roads going in different directions, <laughs> you know, cause you would start with car then, okay, wait a minute. In 1925, he goes to New York and he recruits Wellington or he recruits Tim Mara to buy the Giants and invest in NFL. Well, now you got to go over here to see what Tim Mara was like. What was he doing in New York in 1925? What was New York like in 1925? And so uh, that was the challenge of the book project was that one led to so many different avenues because I wanted to cover. I wanted to cover Burt Bell. I wanted to cover, you know, was there any stadium issues? Was there attendance issues? Was there, you know, um, you know, what was George Hallis doing? Like, so there were so many avenues that you have to go down, you know, to research where maybe some other projects, you know, are a little bit error, you know, so, um, but no, I, I like to find, I don't know if I answered your question quite as well, but I, I just tried to like to find as much as I can about the person or the a team or the event and stuff and, and, and try to find as much as I can. Cause like you guys, you guys have read probably a decent amount, you know, some of your audience has, some of your audience has, you know, there's some right. people that will read Joe Carr and will know, okay, I know a lot, some of the story or I didn't yeah. know this part, but there, there'd be some that might not know any of it. And then they're right. just like, okay, wow, this is all really good. I did not know that the league was doing this and Joe Carr was doing it. So, um, so you try to find what you can to, to tell the best story. And, you know, and just talk and just, you know, talking about that, I was talking to another podcaster, um, young guy, 25. He's got Gridiron Gallery podcast. He's got, he's, he's starting new in the business. And we were talking about, um, you know, but, but history and he's learned, I mean, it's, it's amazing now how many young kids are in their twenties now are just starting to kind of learn the history of the game, especially the ones that are getting into broadcasting. And we got to talking and, you know, I mentioned, you know, if you have to, he goes, well, what's, where do I start at? If I'm going to read about the history of the league and he really, you know, and he's like, I go, well, read Joe Carr's book. Start with there because that really essentially more or less starts at the beginning. There's other books that start, you know, um, at the, Columbus Panhandle's book. It starts at the beginning. Um, but that Joe Carr book sets the stage for everything that happens after. Uh, I, I agree. And that was a little bit of the plan, you know, when I went it, like I said, I, I, I wanted to keep it like a biography and do it from his viewpoint. But I also wanted to tell the story because I, I didn't think there was as many volumes out there that covered the 20s and 30s as much. You know, um, uh, like when I tell people, like you said, you get a question like, well, there's so much that, that can be read or what do I do? What the best am I, you know, and and I always steer them to a couple things. You know, I, I think Pigskin by Robert Peterson is a very good single volume. If you just want to uh, uh, probably, I would say more than just a touching glance, but you get it more succinct. It's a more succinct volume of, of, of how the game grew from, you know, college football in 1869 with Rutgers, you know, Princeton and you, where you get to the like World War II or 1950. And then, um, and then, like you said, I, I think Joe Carr fills that gap between the twenties and thirties. And then you have obviously America's game with, by Michael McCain kind of picks up around the World War II and Burt Bell's sort of coming in the scene and covers the 50s, 60s, 70s and the growth all the way up to, you know, when that book was published, you know, um, you know, about a decade ago or 12, 15 years. So, um, so there's a couple of volumes there and then you get a good sense of, Hey, you read those three books, you have a lot 
of sense of what maybe what the NFL was like or what pro football was like from the very start to what we see, you know, kind of today and stuff. So, um, so like I said, I, the plan was to tell Joe Carr's story, but also to say, hey, you want know this fills a gap of being able to learn a little bit about, you know, even if you just read, you know, broken down kind of, you know, you know, chronologically, even if you just read like the presence the presidency, which is like what part two of the entire book, you know, you just read like the last 200 page, you get a good sense of, of maybe what the NFL was like and what it went through. And you didn't even really have to read about, you know, his growing up and his panhandle days or you just want that, then you could, you could crank that out and, and, and understand it. So, But there's such a romance to it. And, and that, you know, when you start reading your book, I mean, he was such an interesting person, just regardless, and, you know, football aside, I mean, he was just an amazingly interesting man. Yeah, I, I wish I, I mean, the book's pretty detailed and, and, and intense, but I didn't even really touch on some of the other stuff, you know, like I said, because I, I, if you read the introduction, I said this is a football story, you know, like he was involved in major league or minor league baseball. He was one of the early uh, you know, organizers of the American Basketball League, which turned into pro basketball, turned into the NBA, you know, uh, and, and he did a lot of other things, you know, that was very creative and sports minded and he's sports writing. Like I go back and I touched on a little bit of his, like he was at the 1919 world series, you know, he covered the black South world series. He covered the Jack Dempsey fight. Like I want to dig deep and find even more of the, some of the sports writing. Like I barely touched on that, you know, just because like I said, it would took up more pages and, you know, all of a sudden it becomes a six, 700 page volume and stuff. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of things that he was involved in and, and that makes him such an interesting, you know, like I said, like I said, an, uh, to me, a, sort of an unsung hero, you know, of sort of sports, sports executive pioneer, you know, uh, I mean, I, you could put him up there with like Branch Rickey and, and those type of guys that, that came along and sort of made being a sports executive their career and, and had that type of impact and stuff. So, um, yeah, like I said, he's, he's so underrated in, in my mind. <laughs> And how about and um, another book? Great book you wrote was the book on Dutch Sternen. Tell tell us, you know, we have a lot of people who are Lions fans, and I know we've got a few younger Lions fans. Explain to I because I couldn't explain to them fully who why Dutch Sternen matters so much. Tell tell us why you know tell tell us about yeah. the, that book and and how that came to be and really the impact he had not only in the lines, but also the NFL. Yeah. It, that one actually came out of the blue. Cause um, I'm always thinking a year, two, three years ahead of time. It, it's just how I'm built. <laughs> um, so I'm thinking of like, like there's probably like 10 projects on my mind right now, but am I going to do all 10? Probably not. <laughs> so, uh, cause some of these books take, you know, like two to three years to, to complete, but, that one sort of came out of because I had just finished Joe Carr and that was kind of my first trilogy. I, I, I call it kind of all wars. The first, you know, I did old leather, which was a normal history book, which kind of like said, was a, a homage to Richard Willingham. Like I wanted to do something like that. Uh, then the panhandles was my hometown NFL team that, that sort of nobody knew about with the Nestor brothers and, and Joe Carr was the manager of that team. And then Joe Carr biography was the third one. So, so I was kind of like, well, what do I do next? I'm going to do, you know, I was thinking maybe Cam Bulldog's book or, um, you know, something like that. And all of a sudden, Dutch Clark just hit me for some, some reason. I was like, you know what? Nobody knows about Dutch Clark. 
he's a great player. He's a, it was a charter member of the Hall of Fame. And what kind of sealed it to me was just like with the car, I tracked down the car, the Dutch Clark family, and he had two sons and two stepsons that were living. So, uh, and the big thing about it, what made it so unique was the, especially the two sons, the, the first son was like in the seventies. And then the other son was like early fifties. And I, I was like, wow, what happened here? What, why is there a big difference between, well, what happened was he married his high school sweetheart and she unexpectedly passed away. So he remarried, had one son later, which was Tim Clark and then two stepsons. Well, they're all, all were still living. So when I talked to him, I got like different perspectives, you know, like the oldest son had a lot of his early life, knew what he went through. And then the later son had all like his later life and what he went through with his coaching and, and some of his, you know, you know, uh, experience there. So as soon as that happened, they said, that, and then they said they had scrapbooks, they had things that I could use. And like, as soon as I heard all that, I was like, well, I want to do this. Like, you know, they're, you know, they're willing to cooperate, you know, it's a story I want to tell, like nobody knows who he is. And him, unlike some other projects or even just articles I've written or research for NFL films, uh, sometimes, we, especially with these early players, because there's not as much footage of these early players, um, that their write-ups in the newspaper made them maybe bigger than what they were. Like, oh, how great they were, or, or oh, wow, you know what? He was really, you know, written about like he was God. But, you know, when you look at the stats or look at the games or, or what was his impact on the games, you know, did he, you know how, how was he scoring? What was he doing? They don't, they don't maybe match up quite as much. But when I started digging in, into Dutch's life and his career, it was the exact opposite. Like he, his impact on the game, especially scoring, like blew me away. Like it was bigger impact and a much better player than I ever thought he was. Like, you know, and that's the reason why I think the book came out that way was like, wow, he was much better, you know, you know, whether it was from other players talking about him or, you know, like, especially in the time he played in the early thirties, scoring was like a huge thing and scoring. And he was the best, he was the best scorer, whether it was kicking, you know, running touchdowns, playing defense than anybody during that time. And, and I was very impressed. I was like, wow, he impacted a lot of games. You know, there's some players you look up, you know, and you're like, wow, you know, he, he, his touchdowns really didn't matter as much, you know, towards seven touchdowns, but they all came in blowouts or against weaker opponents. But Dutch's performances against good opponents and big games where he was like the one person that defenses needed to stop, like was so impressive. And, and um, like I said, I, I was I was sort of blown away when once I started going through his career, like, wow, you know, he he was a really good player. And then, like, you know, just two years ago, like I was so happy that he was elected to the NFL's 100 all time team because I, I thought he by far might have been the best running back in the first like 25 years of the NFL. Like if you gave me a choice, he might be number one, you know, and, you know, Fritz Pollard was great, you know, it, it, even guys like Patty Driscoll that were sort of a quarterback slash running back, you know, Jimmy Collins, you know, um, really up until almost Steve Van Buren, like he might've been the, the best running back in the first 25 years of the NFL. You know, so, um, so I, like I said, my research sort of led me to like, wow, he was a much better player or a greater player than I, I thought he was. So. One of my favorites, I've, I've always been a Jim Thorpe fan. So the, the Walter Lingo, Jim Thorpe and the Orang Indians, I just, 
I just want to hear you talk about that because that's such a great story. And there's something to me about the the barnstorming days of the NFL that that's just terrific. I mean, it's amazing how many games these guys played in such a short period of time. Yeah, that, that was another project. Uh, like I mentioned before, I'm always thinking like five or six projects ahead. That one I always thought I would come back to, you know, like uh, uh, I think I did some interviews in LaRue in 2000 with, with the son of Waterlingo. Um, and then there was a guy named William Guthrie who actually played high school football at LaRue High School. And they practiced on the same field as the Urang Indians with Thorpe. And he was still living. He was like 93 years old. And he was still living. He had these great stories. And so that was 2000. And that book thing published in 2017. You know, so I always thought that I would revisit that. And eventually, once I got through Dutch Clark and, uh, and then the 49er book, I was like, you know what? I'm doing Urang. That's what I would like to do. Um, and so, like I said, that one was that was so much fun to, to, to do because the best thing for me, like it was only two years. As much as I like to do guys who play 10 years and, you know, do 15 years or something like that. It was so much fun because it was, it was only condensed to two years. So I was like, I put a lot of effort into just those two years to find out what I could find. And and they played a lot of games. Like I said, they only played one game in Mary and everything else. They barnstormed. Like I said, they were traveling. And that's another fun thing to do is because the NFL was so young at that time to see how they were perceived in, in different cities. You know, they would go to, you know, as, as big as Chicago. They played outside of Baltimore, but then they also played, in, you know, Dayton and Columbus, you know, that they went and played in, in, in Minneapolis, you know, uh, then they played non-NFL teams in like East Lansing and Indianapolis. So yeah, it's so much fun, you know, cause one thing I like, especially with, with Twitter, and social media and internet now, like images are, are, are so cool to look at now, you know, and you see it on Twitter, you're on Twitter and, you know, just to see old ads and old photos, especially from the 20s, it is so cool to see. And um, so any type of Oorang ad that had their, you know, their uh, sort of advertisement with Jim Thorpe and, you know, and, and stuff like that, they're always so cool to see. So, um, so that was, yeah, like I said, I, I enjoyed that research probably just as much as some of the other ones is because it's an era in a story. Like I said, you're dealing with an adult kennel owner. And, and so to even to go through some of that time period and just to see how big, because technically his dog kennel was bigger than the NFL. His ads and his advertising with the dog kennel was so much bigger than what he did for the football team. You know, although the football team gave him good publicity, it was just so much fun to, to, to venture into that and, and to see what the NFL is going like now we take for granted, you know, team travels and you see the advertisements of, of, of the NFL team, you know, when, you know, the schedule comes out, everybody knows every, every game, but back in the twenties, it's really cool to see, you know, some of those, those ads and how they presented themselves, whether it was photos and things like that, that, that presents. And that Urang project was, was, was so much fun to, to do that. So I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. That's one of my favorites because, you know, now you think of how teams and leagues market themselves and, and that's what was so to me is this you know it was it was a dog kennel it was a football team it was cross promotion and it was brilliant i mean it was just brilliant the, the way the whole thing was organized and it put butts yeah. in the seats from what i understand yeah yeah they, they actually did pretty well their crowds were pretty uh, intensive i mean obviously when you look at you know seven thousand or, or eight thousand that doesn't sound a lot but back then when the nfl was only averaging like 2500 fans you know 
to go to a game with Jim Thorpe and the Oorang Indians and you get 7,000. I mean, it's more than, you know, almost triple, you know, what they were really looking at. So it made a big, it made a big impact. You know, they, um, uh, they were one of the more popular teams in, in, the, in the first 20 years of the NFL. So. And, and following on that and, you know, talking about the growth of the NFL, you're, as Randy Snow said to me one, one time, you know, in the last month, Chris Willis's uh, opus, the Red Grange story, the Red Grange book. And um, that is, that's, if, if anybody here is listening who has not read it yet, it is, there's a lot of research. It's a really big book and uh, it is a, it, it's an amazing book. It just, it covers, it covers everything. I've read other books on Grange, but yours tells kind of like, is, um, um, oh God, Paul Harvey used to say here in Chicago, the rest of the story. And um, when, how long did it take you to write that book? Well, that one, uh, no, I'm glad you brought that up. That's, uh, as much as the car took a long time, you know, right. um, the, the Grange one, uh, I can say it was almost two sort of two parts. The first part was, I started that in pretty much in 1998, you know, so you're talking 20 years of gathering things, not knowing that I was probably going to write it, but I think deep down in the back of my mind, especially once I went to write some articles and I, and then I started doing book projects, I always knew that I was wanted to do Grange, you know, you know, he, he was my favorite old time player. So starting in 1998 with the sort of big sort of, first big ebay uh uh you know ebay was just starting to boom in 1998 and uh so i would you know back then it was hard to find a lot of things especially on early pro football and like grange so i sort of collected and sort of bought whatever i could on red grange you know you know 20 years ago and and then uh i could collect you know could find you know whether it's articles magazines programs tickets photos, you know, what was advertisement with Hollywood, whatever, you know, I just started trying to find that stuff. So, um, so as I was starting to get through, you know, some of the book projects, um, what kind of hit me, you know, it's probably the third time, probably broken record now is I'm always thinking ahead, like different projects. Well, my mind started thinking of, you know, Oh wait, do I want to do Grange or when is that going to happen? And then, uh, probably right after around Dutch time, I knew that the NFL was celebrating its 100 season in 2019. You know, um, uh, so once that hit, you know, once I started thinking about that, I'm like, wow, that's that that'll be the perfect time to do it. Like, if it comes out, it could come out, you know, because, um, you know, publishers and editors always looking for a nice hook, a good selling point. They like this as much just to preserve the history and that's my main goal is to preserve football history they want to sell some books too <laughs> um so once i started thinking about that i'm like wow that gives me enough time so this was probably what 2014 2015 i was like what if i have if i can if it comes out in 2019 then it gives me enough time to do the book you know so so the research probably took close to 20 years, like, cause I was collecting a lot of things and cause there's a lot of things I didn't have to go get once I committed to the project, but it took me about two and a half years to, to, to do the research and then write it, which is normal on average between two and two and a half years for me. 
to do a book project. So but the grains thing, I mean, you said it, it's an opus, but that was the plan all along. I, I, it wasn't like I accidentally went to that. The plan was to tell his complete story because I, as much as I like, like I love football, but there's not a lot of like in-depth sort of, especially about early players and coaches and owners like, like, like Joe Carr. And I always thought, why does Babe Ruth get 500 or, or 600 pages? Why does Ty Cobb, you know, why does, you know, uh, you know, Mickey Mantle or, or why does, you know, um, all these great athletes are, you know, whether it's Bobby Jones or, you know, Wilt Chamberlain or whatever, like, why do they get 500 pages? Why can't Red Grange? Like he's, you know, he's the first superstar of the NFL. He's probably the biggest name. If you know any early pro football player, it's going to be Jim Thorpe or Red Grange. You know, that's it until like Jim Brown or John, you know, until you get to the fifties, like people probably don't know Sammy Ball quite as much, you know? So I always thought, you know, if I'm going to write it, then I'm going to write it, you know, um, I'm going to write the most detailed biography. Like if I'm going to spend time doing this, I want to do it right. And I want to do it at the level, you know, like, I don't know if you know, like, Jane Levy wrote a Babe Ruth biography that came out like two years ago and it was real deep. It was like 550 pages. It was super detailed. And I'm like, that's what I wanted to do for Grange. Like it was a no brainer for me. And, uh, and the big thing about it is it was actually, I had to cut like 75 to 80, you know, 80 pages out of the manuscript too. So it is detailed and it's pretty thick, but it could have been much thicker. You know, like my editor who was great. She's great of all my projects she was like it can't be 600 pages <laughs> it's you know like it can be it can be in between five and six but it just can't be 600 pages Chris. so we we kind of had to scale back some and um but that was if you want to know like that that was the plan all along I, I didn't just run it or i'd like to write to be writing because most of the time i don't i don't want it to be that long you know but but Grange was a different story. I was like, you know what? I want to do a detail. I want to, because there was, like you mentioned, there was certain, or there was a few volumes that already had been written about him. And I thought some of them really come up short, especially uh, in, in some of his career, because a lot of times they would go to his last football game and then they would stop. Like he lived to, when he was, you know, he was 87 years old when he passed away. Well, his last football game was when he was like 34 years old. Like there's 50 years of his life that nobody pays attention to, you know, whether it's with, you know, his, his broadcasting career, you know, uh, his wife, you know, his honors or whatever, like they just gloss over that in like five pages and, you know, I'm like, well, dude, the dude was a, you know, uh, a broadcasting pioneer. He was the first ex player to go into broadcasting. He did it starting in the thirties. Like I was amazed of how much he was doing, that early, even in the thirties and forties, whether it was radio or print. And, and, and then obviously he did television too. So, so there was a little bit more in-depth than that. And the same thing with his wife, I was happy to find the information and the research about his wife because all the previous written stuff said, Oh, she was a stewardess. He met her on a plane and they got married. And it, and it, and it was like, well, they were married first of all, 49 years. So it wasn't like they, he just met her, and, you know, when he was 60 years old, and he met a stewardess, which is what they, what, what's the interpretation, what it sounded like. And then I found out she was much more intelligent, much more well-rounded. Like she graduated high school, she graduated college to get her teaching degree. She went to nursing school. She, she was a, uh, a graduate of nursing school. And you had to be a nurse to be a, 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 um, a stewardess back in the 40s. You just couldn't just be a steward. You had to be a registered nurse. So 
she wanted to see the world. And so she was much more intelligent. And, 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 and the payoff of when, uh, like when Red passed away in Wheaton High School, you know, she was sort of adopted Wheaton High School, you know, as sort of, you know, uh, um, you know, the, the, cause since Red had passed away. So, so those type of things, the relationship with that high school at the end, like all that stuff I wrote about, most people would have just glossed over. And so that's the reason why it, it meant a lot to me that to be as detailed because it told as well around the story as you could about, you know, I mean, he's, he's, he's such a great player and such a great person. Like he deserved, I think that sort of, um, you know, full scale biography that, that I see with a lot of the other sports and other sports grades, you know? So if I'm going to sit there and read 550 pages of Babe Ruth, I know you know somebody would want to read 500 pages on, on Red Grains. <laughs> well, you absolutely did him right. There's, <laughs> there's no question about that. But I know that uh, Greg is dying to get to the NFL films portion of the <laughs> program. So. Oh, we're almost there. We're almost there. I got, I got, uh, I was, um, you know, I was, and talking about, you know, I'll admittedly, I've not read all your books, but I've read most of them. But the one book I have not read is the book on the 49ers. How did that come to be? Yeah, that one is my, uh, it's like the, I don't know, the, 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 the bad sock in your sock drawer or the one sock <laughs> in your sock drawer that, that doesn't belong there. Um, because most of my projects are all, you know, from the 20s, that they're all early pro football. But at that point, I had just finished the Dutch book. So Dutch um, was the fourth book. So I wanted a little break from looking at microfilm. Now, you know, back when I started, still had to go look at stuff on microfilm and newspaper recaps and stuff like that. Um, newspaper.com has made it much easier to do now. Oh, hey, um, that's a great plug too for the Sports yeah. History Network. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, so newspapers.com is a huge resource. It's like the best money I spend all year. Um, yeah. Um, so I wanted a little bit of break for that. And what I wanted to do, it was a couple of things. One was I wanted to do a project based on interviews. You know, like I loved some of the early projects, but I was getting a lot of, you know, you would get a son or a grandson. You, you get, a, you know, the, the second level instead of the, the first level of, of participants, you know. So the Niner book was because that's my favorite franchise. Like, even though I grew up in Ohio, Montana and Rice are my two favorite players. 84, 81 was the catch was like my first big memory of loving, of, you know, my favorite player, you know, you know, sort of with the favorite moments and, and seeing him win that, you know, the catch in the Super Bowl. So I wanted to do something 84 Niners and, uh, and that was uh, the 30th anniversary was coming up for that team, you know, in 2014. So, um, so we, we plugged that anniversary with the book and, uh, and what I did was because I wanted to interview face. So I contacted the Niners and Keena Turner first to see if I would get some cooperation. And he, he helped me a lot of reaching out to some players. And then I did, did all the legwork myself. He's just mentioned. And so I, I interviewed pretty much like 30 of the players, almost all the coaches, obviously Walsh had passed away. Um, so that was the, was the challenge was like, I wanted to write a book that was based on interviews, you know, um, you know, cause there was another, uh, it's not a football book, but I'll plug this. Wayne Coffey wrote a book on the 1980 U S hockey team that won the Olympics, the greatest upset in sports. Do you believe in miracles? And I thought he did a really good job of interviewing those guys and weaving the story of, of, you know, their backstory, to the, what happened in the 98 Olympics and then what they are doing today and stuff. 
now I didn't do as much with the where are they now type of thing, but I liked the way he he read it. Like I said, I'm not a big hockey fan, but that's one one sort of non-football books that I, that, I, that I enjoyed reading. You know, it was like, wow, this is really done really well. And it was mainly because those guys told the story, you know, the, those guys, the, the hockey guys, you know, whether it was Jim Craig or Mike Ruzioni, you know, Johnson, they told the story. And, and I thought, you know, I, I, hopefully if you read the 84 Niner book that you get that sense because the guys are telling the story, you know, uh, obviously I didn't get like Montana and lots of uh, the, the two bigger names, but I got pretty much a lot of the roster to talk about what, what that season meant. So, uh, so like I said, that's the one, you know, dark sock in the, in the white, just, you know, white sock door is like, wow, he wrote a book on the eight Niners and then doesn't look like all the other books, uh, which I might not even go back to that era. I might just stay, I call it the stone age. I might just stay in the stone age and continue the twenties and thirties. But, uh, but I enjoyed, you know, sort of putting that book together. We love the Stone Age, though. I mean, we really yeah, do. Yeah. Thank just, you. <laughs> can can answer great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and that's the other best, thing. Oh, sorry, but that's oh no, thing. I was going to say the best part about the Stone yeah. Age is a lot of that Stone Age is Chicago football history too. Which yeah. you know, you were saying I didn't mean to cut you off. No, I, I, to, to, to cap that off is yeah. I mean, I love today's like, but you can watch Montana highlights, Joe Montana highlights. You can watch you know Jerry Rice highlights. You know, on YouTube, you can go on the internet and you can watch hundreds of. Well, you're not going to be able to watch Red Grange and Bronco Nagurski and Dutch Clark a lot. You know, you can barely find articles. So that's why I pursue those projects because I want to preserve that part of that history, which leads into NFL films and being able to preserve that type of history. But uh, right. but that's how the, the the Niner thing came about. So, right. Well, before we get to NFL films, let's talk about your your the book you are working on now about Bronco Nagurski. And that's what I was saying. You know, a lot of that Stone Age football history is Chicago football history, whether it's on the north side or on the south side, though. People here don't even realize that the Cardinals, that the NFL really more or less kind of started in Chicago. Yeah. And I know you're from Ohio and that's like, you know, to me, it's my my heart says, hey, Chicago pro football started in Chicago. But we also know it started in, in Ohio, too. Um but let's talk about Bronco Nagurski. How did uh, where you, how are things coming along, and and what's that pro, what's what's that research and writing process been like? Yeah, it's been it's been tremendous. Uh, I mean, uh, Bronco actually came out um, from the Grange book. Uh, Tony Nagurski, oldest son of Bronco, still living, seventy years old. Um, wait, no, he's he's eighty years old. I, 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 cut, I cut him short. And he always wanted to preserve his father's history in, in a book. You know, there was one book written earlier uh, by Jim Dent um, that he liked, but it, it rehashed a lot of the same stories. You know, you know, the plow story, him running into Wrigley Field Wall, like it was all the same sort of stories. Um, so he actually reached out to me, uh, maybe doing a project. I had interviewed him for the Red Range book. So I had a little bit of, of, of contact with him. And, um, so, uh, so I thought about it, I'm like, oh, okay, you know, um, let me see, you know, do I want to write about Bronco? Is this, you know, I just finished Grange, you know, which is you know, similar time period. Um, so we talked about it and, and the more he, he sort of told me, you know, the research he had and the cooperation I would give. And he actually literally, I think it was like two and a half weeks before COVID hit in New Jersey, he actually came out to, um, 
NFL films to talk to me and we talked a little bit more. Um, and then, so I, you know, once we started talking and we agreed like, Oh, we were on the same page, then I wanted to do it, you know, cause I'm always looking for this type of material. Like he had letters and letters from George Hallis and he had some scrapbooks that the family kept. Um, uh, his siblings were still living and stuff. So I was like, you know what, this is a perfect situation. If I, you know, wanted to do this, then this is what I would, this type of stuff, you know, so that's how it came about. Um, it's it's uh the manuscript coming along it's due in october of 2021 so uh, you know like a couple months to to, to, to get it really in shape (laughs) um uh it's uh i probably about 75 percent through it now so uh um uh, so i'm looking forward to like finishing it getting it to you know because i think it's it's not going to be super in-depth like Grange, you know, just because Grange was a different animal, like there's a lot more, you know, Nagurski was a little bit more low profile, you know, uh, he didn't do Hollywood, he didn't do everything, you know, he sort of kept himself, uh, although he was an NFL player and a pro wrestler, world champion, um, so it's scheduled to come out, you know, this time next year, so we're getting close to, like, turning it in and to be able to to get it out there, so so can read it, you know, especially Bears fans, you know, want to read a little bit more about those early years. Uh, uh, and about Bronco, Bronco's story is definitely much different than Red's. Um, uh, and it's, you know, like I said, it's part of that stone age that, that has a little bit more, you know, stuff, teeth, you know, teeth to it. So, uh, so I'm looking forward to, to, to out there. And wasn't he born in yeah, Canada and, and moved to like Minnesota when he was, uh, when he was, yeah. yeah. Yes. He was born in a town called, Rainy River, which is right across the border. Um, uh, and his dad was working in the mills there. And then there's, um, you know, so he lived his first probably eight years. And then uh, um, some of the mills burnt down. So the, so the town almost like was lost to these, you know, because everybody worked at the mills there, you know, whether it was lumber, or, you know. And uh, so his dad, his father moved the family across the border from Canada to international falls you know which is right there you know to, you know uh you know to border and uh so yeah so technically i mean i think there's only a few guys maybe the only one is the only one born in canada that's in the pro football hall of fame you know um um so um but yeah that's where his journey started was in a little town named rainy river and and the the family tony actually been to that house, the house that he was born and grew up in is still there. You know, uh, I wasn't able to visit that, you know, uh, because of COVID. Um, But he sent me a photo of them outside the house. So the house there, you know, that he was born in, um, in Rainy River is is still actually there. (laughs) Uh, You could go visit it and, you know, so. And you weren't, you can, I know you and I talked, I mean, I think if, correct me, uh, maybe I'm mistaken, but I think you made a couple trips out here to interview people at least in chicago correct or am i mistaken for for for, for nagurski no for I was, wasn't yeah i wasn't able to travel much for nagurski okay so so for red i did i went to chicago right. and interviewed um one of his uh nieces and some and like i said tony gurski has a, had a home outside of illinois he lives in arizona mainly and, oh, and, uh, okay. so so for red i did i i, I was in chicago and wheaton and um uh university of illinois i i there a couple of times uh for, but for bronco it, it was a little unfortunate that i didn't do as much traveling um because of covid uh, you know just you know it's just almost impossible to do it and you know, just you know like everybody else you're just trying to take care of 
right um, right until you know until now like you know like now i can travel and i feel okay traveling but you know it's a, it's a little too late for that well and it's it's you know i think a lot of people who listen to the show and hopefully we're we're as each episode comes out we're getting more listeners would be surprised to know that bronco nagurski was from is from canada originally yeah, yeah. um yeah. so um you know and 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 i guess from there you know, you've got, you're working on your books, but obviously you got a full-time job at NFL Films. And um, if you could tell me how that came to be, when you, how, how did it, how did you, how did you come to, to work for NFL Films? Um, it, it's an interesting story. I mean, I was fortunate to, uh, uh, to give you the sort of condensed version, um, I was a physical education major in, in college, you know, uh, at, at a small school, Urbana University in Southern, uh, Southwest Ohio, um, played football there, thinking I was going to be a coach, you know, growing up, you know, around high state football, like, oh man, coaching at high state, Big Ten football would be the greatest thing. So I thought I was going to go into coaching. So in my senior year in college, I looked at grad programs, you know, maybe be a grad assistant and, and, and just learn more and more. Um, and Ohio State was like on my radar and Ohio State had a grad program in sports history. And I was just like, what is that? That sounds awesome. And uh, so I applied for sports history, which was in the physical education department with like sports management, sports philosophy, uh, uh, sports movement. So they had like two people graduating. So I was fortunate to get in that program. Um, and then after a year, I wanted to do an internship. And for, and this was even when I was in, in, in undergraduate, I applied to NFL films and like the Hall of Fame and all, and all the NFL teams to see if I could do an internship. And then after like two plus years, and a film finally got back to me in, in the spring of 95 and said, uh, we, you know, if you want to do an interview. And so I went out there and did an interview and they gave me the internship to get college credit to, uh, you know, in the fall of 95. They say, oh, if you come in the fall, that's the best time. Because uh, I was going to think about doing it in the summer, but there's no games. It's like, if you come in the fall, you can be a, a fall intern and you have the games and it's, it's a lot better experience. So, so, um, so my professor was okay with that. So I went out there and for the, the entire fall of 95, I worked as an intern in the archives department, just doing research. I thought that was my strength. I wasn't a, a film or TV major. So I didn't want to spend three months learning a flatbed or a video machine. And then my internships up and then I didn't learn it. I barely learned how to use the machine. So they just put me in research. And, and like I said, we have a great building. We have a great group of people and nobody told me like, this is what you need to do or you were doing a good job, but they noticed the work you were doing. And unfortunately, unfortunately a few of the guys thought I was doing a good job and they put my name in for a job. They were going to start a, um, a research library that was going to be part tape and part print and because they were moving to more tapes you know you know um, and being more digital at, at the time and um, and they just thought I would be perfect for it and you know so I stayed you know like through the Super Bowl uh, it was through Super Bowl 30 and they just they offered me the full-time job and I was like well this is what I want to do this is why I went to grad school was to you know, I thought I would be end up at maybe the Pro Football Hall of Fame, you know, doing, you know, type of archival work or, or, or research or writing, um, or if anything, I could taught sports history, you know, 
but this was just such a great opportunity. I was like, you know what, I, 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 I'm, so I'm going to take this job. <laughs> you know, my, my parents were fine. They're like, I think this is what you want to do. And, and like I said, that was 25 years ago. Um, uh, and it's just, like I said, I was just fortunate to be, I think, in the right place, right time. And, you know, you know being a hard worker, I think, paid off. So, you know, which helped because I was from out of town. So all I did was stay there and do work. So it was like really cool to, to experience that. And like I said, it just was fortunate, you know, that I was in the right place at the right time with the, yeah. with the, the opportunity. So it was, yeah. it was awesome. And did, um, and what were, I mean, what were the, what, what was Steve Sable like? What was that Sable like? Um, I've heard, you know, I've, I've watched all the documentaries. I've heard, I think every interview that I could ever find on both of the Sables and it's to, 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 first of all, to be talking to somebody who knew both of them personally is um, the inner, tell me about, tell me about them. And they seem like wonderful, truly yeah, wonderful people. No, I, like I said, I appreciate that. Like they're the two best people that I ever worked for, you know, um, I was right at the end of Ed's run, Ed, had just retired in, in 95, 96. Um, but his presence was still there, you know, like, like he would pop in the building. He, although he, was, he retired in Arizona, he would come back every once in a while. And whether it was, um, you know, an event or he would come in just to see Steve and, and, and he, his presence was there. And, and, and he was just, you could see where Steve got all his, you know, his leadership ability, his likability, you know, his personality, you know, they were, they were, they were, Although they were, like I said, you've seen them a lot. They were father and son, but they were really like best friends. They were they were buddies, you know. And it was just tremendous to see. And, and like I said, just experience what Ed and just what he had to say. And then, and then Steve's just a, a different animal. I, I I don't know anybody that I've worked. You know, like I said, I've been there twenty five years, and his door was always open. Like you know, you would think somebody that that. Um, as much as he accomplished or at, at the stage he was like, you know, here's a guy who, who's established and he was a president of NFL films. He was still the face that he would not be the, the day-to-day nut and bolts, but he was, he was there every day. He took one vacation a year, which was like around July 4th, which was like right before training camp, which was like the dead period in the NFL is like July 4th. And you know, that week and, and his door was always open. So if you wanted to talk football, movies, whatever, you could just say hello and you could talk to him. I don't know how many times, you know, here me, I'm just a guy that runs the research library. He would stop by my office, stop by the library and just say, hey, you know, what are you working on, Chris? What do you need? Like he would say he would want to give you all the tools that you needed to be successful. And it was like you couldn't ask for that from, from the top. Like he's the biggest guy in the building and he's the biggest name and he's the biggest and him to come to you say, do you, you know, what do you need? You need, you know, do I need boxes for my magazines? Like that would be something I could talk to him about. And he's like, I'll get you what you want, Chris. You need, you know, you need this for the library. You need this for research. I mean, uh, Hey, you, like, I know, like when I started the library, I was like, Hey, is it okay to, to have a small budget to go buy books like you know you know every year there's you know maybe 10 books you know eight to ten books that might come out every or the new previews like that's what you need chris go get it and then uh, you know we'll, we'll worry about you know you know the cost or whatever later you know so so i, I could like you know the three best football books come out like we need them like we need it you know as much as the internet is great now like i we still have that philosophy if, you know say hey, chris if you need something you know 
the internet's great. You can find a lot of stuff. There's there's a lot of football material that's not on the internet. You know, you need right. a biography. You need a biography like those pass punt and kick books. They're not. You can't read those on the internet. You can't read them on your iPad. <laughs> but they're great resources, and you, you know yeah. we need them. And we, you know, we're, we're doing. You know, especially like when we did the NFL 100 or Peyton's Place is now. You want the research. You want certain things. You know that maybe is not available on the internet or that you can read on on your iPad and stuff. So. So, Steve, I'll tell one quick story that I love about Steve uh, that that just like means the like the most to me. You know, just, you know, it's like means it means so much. Um, second or third year, you know, working in the building. So I'm just getting started. You know, you know, I, I don't know if he knows me from from anybody, um, but he knows, you know, I'm a big history guy. And he loves and uh, we have a card show out here. It's called the Philly Card Show. It used to be in Fort Washington, Pennsylvania, but now it's in um, the King of Prussia um, area. And it's a huge card show. And, and, and Steve, I heard about it. Like I would read it in Sports Collector's Digest. If you ever read that back in the day mm-hmm. and the shows like, oh, there's this Philly show that's supposed to be pretty good. And so I started going there, but I, I, I didn't have a car my first couple of years out. I would just ride my bike or go to work. I said when I when I was intern, I was expecting to go back to grad school, but then I was like, okay, I got to save up for a car. And so Steve, you know, you know, one day said, Hey, are you going to the, the car show this weekend? And I was like, Oh yeah, I was thinking about it, but I, you know, I don't have a ride. And he was like, Oh, that's okay. I'm going Sunday. If you want to come, you know, living in Morristown, which is the same area I was in, in where my apartment was. He's like, no, I'll come by and pick you up and we'll go. And I was like, okay, that sounds great. And so here we were on the Sunday afternoon, we would go, he picked me up, we drove out to Fort Washington, you know, 40 minute drive, and we walked around, you know, then he went his way, you know, he, he was big into tickets, and met, you know, you know, things that, you know, he liked, and I went and we, you know, we, and we went and we came home, and I was like, for a president of a company, of, of NFL Films, or a president of any company, to just take some random work, just to a card show, and he'd give me a ride, it wasn't like we, we went there, met, like, he gave me a ride, picked me up, you know, and I just thought that was just awesome. Like, like I said, he went beyond what a, a normal boss would be and to help you do your job. And like I said, he's just, like I said, there's, there's not too many, you know, like I, said, I can talk so many kind words about what Steve did. And, and like I said, he, and I'm not the only one. It's, it's like that throughout the building, you know, almost every guy and girl that probably worked in has a Steve story, you know, uh, right. especially, you know, so it's, uh, so well, yeah, he's just, Tremendous to be around. It, it, he affect. I mean, he touched so many lives. I mean, really, all of us. I think, and not only you work directly for him, but me, Scott. I mean, everybody. I think that watches who loves pro football obviously has been impacted by their work, by your work now. But um, you know, you you know, I know you, you guys are hard at work. Um, it's just it's you know NFL films and. I'm in a film class actually right now, and I keep bringing NFL films. I don't think the instructor really likes it too much when I bring NFL <laughs> films up, but I'm always, you know, when it comes to the art of storytelling, I always bring up Steve Sable and NFL films because they they they've created the modern game, and you're and you're part of that, and that's that's cool. You are, you know, a part of history um, as we move yeah. forward. Yeah. No, I like I appreciate it when when like when I'm traveling or if you're different projects or you meet people like, and they hear that and they say, Oh, you work for NFL foot. Like, you know, do you know, Steve, or do you know, it's still, 
you know, like I said, I'm so appreciative of people that still respond to what we do or they grew up with it, you know, you know, like, cause I did the same thing, you know, like in the seventies and eighties, I grew up watching NFL films any, you know, 2 AM I'm trying to find it, you know, on the weekend or whatever, or, uh, you know, any shows that they did, you know, or you buy the VHS, you know, uh, oh, yeah. you know tapes back in the day, you know, uh, you know, some of your list, younger listeners probably won't know what VHS is, but, right. um, it, you know, though it's, it's still really nice to hear how people respond and grew up with that. Or grew up with Steve and you know, grew up with the shows that, or that's how they became fans or they became bigger or they became a fan of a player. Like, Oh man, I love Deacon Jones because of that piece. You know, he talked about sack and quarterback and that's just, like I said, you know, it's just one preserving history. It's promoting history. It's, you know, like I said, it's educating, right. it's, it's, it's getting it out there. And it's so nice to hear, like I said, you know, you and Scott, like I said, you grew up with that and you love that. And, you know, like I said, it just makes your passion or, you know, your, your love for football that much greater because of what NFL films has done, you know, get you closer yeah. to the game, get you closer to your favorite team, your favorite player. And, you know, like I said, that's, that's the ultimate, you know, compliment. It, well, you do yeah, it with you such get, artistry. Yeah. And you have from, from the outset. I mean, there's never, there's never ever been a decline in quality. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's fantastic. I mean, I can't, and I know, you know Greg feels the same way when it comes to, your appreciation of the NFL, you can't imagine that appreciation without NFL films. I mean, you really can't. Yeah. Yeah. Now there's I a mean, certain gener certain generation that that's their feeling. Yeah. You know, like, wow. You know, and we hopefully we can keep doing that, you know, with the younger generation and the younger, like, wow, I want to watch NFL films or this is the standard, you know, you know, especially for, for NFL and pro football, this is the standard that, then set and you know to be able to enjoy and stuff so yeah. uh and that's and that starts with steve he passed away in 2012 you know so next year will be 10 years and we still his presence is still there there's a lot of guys that is around that he hired and that has worked for him that we want to continue and we want to pass that down to the younger producers look this is the way you do it this is the way you, we want to tell stories this is the way music we want you to feel, we want the emotion, you know, um, the, poetry. the way we shoot the games and stuff, the poetry, like I said, you, you still want that to go because there's definitely different avenues now. You, you're, you can, whether social media or the internet yeah. or TV or whatever, there's so many things that can be watched. You still want it to look like NFL films. You still want some type of reaction. It just doesn't need to be some five second clip that everybody watches and then just goes on to the next one and the next one. Right. You well, want you want people to feel, you know, because then they keep coming back. You want yeah. them to come back. You want them. Well, I mean, you know, you know talking for, about, for, you know, things yeah. that make you keep coming back and, you know, and I know he was long gone before, before you got there, but you know, John Facenda, hmm. the, the voice. And I was telling, I was actually telling, uh, I think I was telling a, a guy I was in the Navy, as in the Navy with, and man, without John Facenda, without Steve Sable, I don't think I would have the love of poetry that I do. And, you know, when I, when I pass away, there's going to be one poem spoken at my funeral and that's going to be the autumn wind because <laughs> <laughs> it is, it, it just, as a kid, it, it infused that just love of words. And have, have you guys, and without, you know, have you guys found a replacement for, good replacement for John Facenda yet? Because um, <laughs> that's a hard one. I mean, that's that, been a hard one. That's been it, a hard one is. to replace. Yeah, I mean, uh, he's another one. I mean, yeah. 
I mean, he passed away in 1984. I mean, that's 30 something years. I mean, and I think most people still associate his name with our films, you know, although he hasn't done a film in 30 years, you know, Um, but that that was part of Steve's genius and Ed, like they could see what he could do and what he might, you know, and what he might do for their films and their storytelling. And like I said, give them all the credit to say they could see that and then, you know, and have him, you know, sort of be the voice, you know, sort of the NFL. He still is, you know, like I said, yeah. you know. And I like you would think Callis somebody either would have well. passed him. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, that's another one. I mean, um, so it, it's, it, yeah, it still amazes me that people like, to, you know, whether it's Steve or John, those are like the first two names that, that come out, you know, and then, and then and, and Steve and Ed, and then John's the next name that comes out of, of what NFL films is about. And, 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 and it should be that way. I, you know, he's, he's still, he's still the voice of God and he still, you know, like I say, he still resonates, you know, with, 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 with fans and, and, uh, and our shows. So it's, um, so yeah. it's, 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 it's part of the NFL films. Like I said, it's, it's part of the lore and, and um, the special, you know, sort of uh, era that, that that they went through that still, like I said, continues today. Yeah, and plus the music too. I mean, I've got, you yeah. know, I'm I'm uh, I have that ten volume CD of all the music <laughs> from that era. It, uh, you know, when I tried to when I had to explain that one to my wife when it came in, I go, you know, and it's <laughs> it's funny. My wife hates football, but she will she loves it that that mm-hmm. um, this you know Sam Spence music from from that era so it's timeless it's yeah. also great no. to hum to yourself when you're doing yard work i've learned yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well guys hey and yeah. uh we are we are approaching here we i think we've been going a, well over an hour and uh i know chris you've got uh we both all have things to do tonight it's it's evening and hey chris how can everybody how can how can people find you i know you're on twitter um do you have a website do you um, how can people reach you? No, nah, I'm just on Twitter. That's it. So, and then, um, and then if looking to buy a book, just type in Chris Willis in Google and yeah, you can, you can, it's on Amazon. I mean, all of them are on Amazon. You know, uh, if you want to go that route, uh, uh, R O W M A N Rowan.com is the publisher It's Rowan in Littlefield, but it's, it's Rowan.com. Uh, so if you want to go the route of, of just going, publisher all of them are, are on there you know um uh so either way you can you can you can find them on on those sites so right. or if chris is having a signing as i found out the hard way <laughs> do do uh buy your book at the bookstore where he's having the signing <laughs> um yeah the, the 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 bookstore owner out in downers grove still a little ticked off at me for bringing my own for bringing an, a book from yeah, amazon yeah, yeah. yeah byob so, had an entirely different meaning there <laughs> that's a good um, one yeah, yeah yeah well chris um hey hang tight we're going to talk to you after we get offline here but hey thank you much for joining us and uh like to do this again soon hopefully uh, you know after the book well obviously sure. the book's going to be coming out here within within the year so have you back on absolutely no i appreciate the time appreciate the invite like i said you guys are awesome and this is uh it was fun to talk uh, a little bit of football history all right thanks, thanks so much it was great thanks a lot it's hey you know like i always say you know uh, it's it's an honor talking to you and uh yeah i can't wait for neither one of us can wait for the book to come out and 
you know, when we have you back on, we'll go knee deep in Bronco Nagurski and, and Chicago Bears football. Absolutely. So keep up the good work. All right. Hey, thanks a lot, Chris. And hey, everybody, thanks for listening. We met, it seems, so long ago that autumn day, ablaze with red and gold and yellow. It was the first you had met me, the game. But oh, how you played for such a little fellow. And as you grew, your dreams grew too. The roaring crowds were a part of you. And then came that gleaming sunlit day when college halls and ivied walls were finally left behind. By then we'd been friends for many years, so you turned to me to find a way. And there were things I demanded from you. For in that summer sun furnace you worked as you had never worked before. The steel in you lifted, strained and melted, and through it all you swore. You fell to earth and rose again to battle emotionless machines. You knew that this had played no part in those long-gone boyhood dreams. Finally, there came that September day you raced out to claim the glory you thought you had earned, and how you railed at me when I said, there's still a lot more to learn. While some learned instinct and reaction, Still others learned to be men. And every time they knocked you down, you got back up again. I taught you discipline and working with others on your teams. And you admit it with an embarrassed smile. It's not as easy as it seems. But slowly you learned the uses of that body we had trained. You learned to fake and swivel and throw and go for the extra effort game. I made you pay for the dreams you had dreamed over the many years. I exacted a toll that you had to pay in blood and sweat and tears. I took the measure of your soul the measure of your heart as you went crashing, thrashing down or head on where walls wouldn't part. I stole victory from your fingers' reach by margins so slim it was a pity. And often because of capricious whim, I stole your dignity. Yes, I demanded much from you, but I gave much in return. I gave you a chance to catch and run with wings upon your feet, a place to stampede and revel in the feeling that you couldn't be beat. I gave you a showcase for your grace, a place where the wind brushed against your face, a place where a leap or a flick of your hand caused a gasp and roar from the crowd. A place where in victory or defeat, your emotions were allowed. 
a place where in victory or defeat you held your head up proud. I gave you a place where men like yourself battled toward the same ends. Men who fought others with the same gut toughness and walked from the field as friends. And I think in the end, I made you a better man, no matter what your name. And I know in the end that you made me a bigger and better game. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Hello, football friends. This is Darren Hayes of the Pigskin Dispatch Podcast, and I'd like to invite you to the portal of positive football history, Pigskin Dispatch and pigskindispatch.com. We talk about everything that centers around the game of American football, expert discussions, the origins of the games, the great players, teams, and coaches, and more, and some great guests and insights from experts. We have new episodes three to four times a week, and you can find us on sportshistorynetwork.com, pigskindispatch.com, or your favorite podcast provider. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.